You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. So happy to be back. I was gone last week, but the Lord moved, it sounded like, and uh, we followed along online, and Nicole brought it. So I'm um, so thankful for her, for her leadership, her legacy here, four and a half years, leading the charge with our children's ministry, and so proud of her. Where is she? There she is. You're amazing. We love you, Nicole. Um, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm 119. We're going to continue there this morning. Psalm 119, we started there a couple weeks ago, and we're going to continue there, making our way through this epic psalm, stirring our hearts to fall more in love with Jesus through his word, through this revelation of himself that he's given to us. What a gift. You know, just a, a quick word on my heart coming out of worship. As really, I felt like in, in this room, the Lord was just highlighting places in our heart that, hearts that he was calling us to surrender. And sometimes we can misconstrue the ways of God when he's tenderly like a father pointing out things that, that maybe we're clinging to, that we're hanging on to, burdens that we're carrying. And we say, like, why does he, why does he constantly point these things out in my life uh, when in actuality it is the Lord's grace that he does that? Uh, it's his kindness that he actually points us towards this liberated life of, of freedom, unencumbered by burdens and the opinions of other people. If you think about the life of Jesus, he was the freest man to ever walk the planet. He was completely unencumbered by anybody's opinions, by the, like the whimsical, like emotional burdens that, that we fall prey to. He was completely free of those things. His, his sole attention was on the agenda of the Father. And so when the Lord brings us into his presence uh, in such a way that, that we're invited to surrender, it is, it is his grace, it is his kindness. And I've found in my life, I'm, very slow, I'm a very slow learner, but I've found in my journey with Christ that when I just quickly yield, I receive the blessing of that freedom very quickly of that surrender that, that just encounters me there as I fall on my knees and surrender myself afresh to the Lord. Uh, he's not nitpicking. He's actually leading us towards freedom, leading us towards just a liberated life uh, from glory to glory. So in that spirit, let's just pray before we open up God's word. Can we do that? Lord, we thank you for your tender mercy that's here this morning. You can sense it in the air. You can feel it. Your love that woos us and draws us to once again lay ourselves down at your feet, surrender afresh. So you can teach us, teach us your ways. Receiving rest daily for our soul, freedom in our minds. I pray in these next few moments as we peer into your word, Lord, that you would be known and seen in a real way to every single person, every single person joining us online, every person here in this auditorium, I pray that we'd see you more clearly through the perfect revelation of your word. In your precious name, amen. So last week, or uh, two weeks ago, Last time I shared with y'all, um, we started going through Psalm 119. I shared a message 
pointing us to the true food of God's word. This revelation of God to us is meant to be the thing that sustains our soul, the one thing that truly brings us delight and satisfaction in this life. Not, not a book, not just words on a page, but a living book that actually points us and aligns us with what we are created for. So uh, you can hear that message on the podcast or online, uh, the first 40 verses we made it through. Um, so we're gonna continue our trek through Psalm 119. And um, I was reminded of a story that Jesus shared in Matthew chapter seven about this wise and foolish, two different builders, wise builder and a foolish builder. And the difference was the wise builder built their, their house on the rock. This, this symbolized this, this represented this person who, whose life was established on the word of God. Not just in hearing it, but Jesus says in doing the word, both hearing the word and, and living out a life in response to that word. And, and Jesus said, that his, his house was, uh, withstood the storm, withstood the wind, because it was founded on a rock. And that's the life that I wanna point us to this morning, is a life through which the word of God is living and active, in which we, we actually take the word of God as authoritative in our lives, and therefore we wanna live our lives in response to this revelation to our lives. Jesus describes it as a life of wisdom, a life like a wise builder. And that's what I want for my life. So that's my prayer for you this morning is that you'd love God and know him personally through the revelation of his word. And so there is a key dynamic there that really I wanna unpack this morning. It's, it's the aspect of God's word being living. And this brings together this, this marriage of the word and the spirit that I feel like oftentimes gets neglected in the Western church. So there's this portion, uh, there's this verse in John chapter three, verse 27, um, where John the Baptist says that a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. And I want us to think of that verse as we peer into God's word this morning and even in this, this coming week, as we continue to feed on God's word as true food, I want you to realize that this word cannot be received unless the spirit of God illumines our hearts, illuminates our hearts to receive from heaven, fresh bread for our souls. So this book is not like any other book out there. This book reveals Jesus to human hearts. And it does that by the mystery of the spirit of God giving eyes, giving the eyes of our heart the ability to actually see and bring the word and allow it to be relevant to our lives. So that's the difference between every other book on your bookshelf and the living word of God. I would say people often ask me, you know, why, why doesn't God speak to me? Why doesn't he speak clearly to me? But if we do uh, oftentimes a, a hard look at our personal lives, we'll realize that our, our Bibles are sitting there on our bookshelf collecting dust, or every once in a while we'll, we'll crack it open or we'll, we'll read a quick verse in passing. And here we have, sitting in our lives, sitting there on our bookshelves, sitting there on our, our table, or our, our bedside table, the revelation of God to you. God has spoken and he is speaking through the revelation of his word. So yes, Holy Spirit speaks to us. 
He can speak audibly, he can speak in a vision, he can speak through gifts of the spirit in community, he can speak through dreams. And we, we, never, uh, we, we, ne- we never deny that. But all of that sits on the authority of God's scripture. And so Jesus is described as the word that existed even before written scripture. The son of God was the role, or played this role in the Godhead of revealing the father to all of humanity. So in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And later John says that the word became flesh. So the son is this revelation of God to man, and more than anything, that is the role of scripture in our lives, to bridge the gap between God and humanity. It's the foundational way in which the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. Let's, Let's, continue our our trek through Psalm 119, starting in verse 41. He says this, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your promise. The Bible, God's word, is his love letter to us. And if if we'd be honest, we, we would realize that we often live love depleted lives. And we need his love to come to us on a daily basis. And how does the psalmist say the Lord does that? How does he bring love into our lives? How does he reveal his love to us? It's through the revelation of his promises. He says, your salvation according to your promises. His promises are his word of, are, are his, his word of assurance over our lives. This confident promise of God. So think of of any contract that we make in this world. We sign on the dotted line. We've agreed to the terms of the agreement, the transaction. We are legally binding ourselves to fulfill our side of the the contract. We're giving our word. We're going to uphold what we we say we're, we're going to. Well, God has revealed himself as a God of covenant. He's a God of promise. And through his word, he's revealed certain promises. He reveals to his people, his people Israel, and and even us us as the children of God, he's revealed to us certain promises. And then he came and he signed that covenant with his blood. He sealed the promise. And that's what for us becomes our daily bread. That's what every day invites us into a fresh revelation of his steadfast love. So I encourage you to dive into the promises of God. Yes, in a, in a broad sense over all of humanity, in a broad sense over the house of Israel, over the children of God, but over you personally, the promises of God are here available for you to feast on every single day. And it says in verse 42, then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. So the Lord wants to equip you, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. So it's the authority of that, con- or that covenant or contract that is our backing as a child of God. That's why you can wake up every single day with this confidence, to face the enemy, to face trials, to face tribulations, because you're steeped in the promises of God. You know, you have this confidence that God's word is, is, your, is the ground you walk on. It's the foundation for your life. 
So every time the enemy taunts you, as the psalmist says, you have an answer. It's the word of God, it's the promises of God. He is our answer. Within the schemes of the enemy, oftentimes he uses scripture as well. I mean, he does it to incite pride in our lives. He does it to incite legalism, division, isolation, and error. He'll, he'll whisper scripture himself. The difference between what the enemy has and what we have is he, he has the, just the let, letters of the, of the word itself. He doesn't have the living word of God because he doesn't have the spirit of God. That's the difference. He can just see the, the actual words on a page actual original autographs, that's what he can see. But he does not have the spiritual sight to see the living word being activated in people's lives. And so we are equipped with the word of God as this living revelation that has actual uh, relevance to the battles that we face. That's what we have. We're equipped with this two-edged sword that's living and active. It says in verse 44, and I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remove from your mind that the Lord wants to stifle your life, that he some, somehow wants to limit you from experiencing a full life. That is a lie of the enemy. The Lord came to bring an abundant life of fullness, of flourishing. But that comes through a life of submittedness to the authority of God's ways. He gave us the revelation of himself through his word. And he said, come and look at me, be transformed, be conformed to look like me. And the result in your life will be fruit. It will be fruitfulness. So the question is, will we follow the king? Will you trust that he's gonna lead you into the broad place? That's what the psalmist said. As we peer into his word, that we will walk in a wide place. We'll walk in a broad place. Do you trust the king? Many times we want Jesus as our savior, but not as our king. Will we trust that his ways are higher than our ways? Will we trust that joy unspeakable is his to give to us, to impart to our lives? Or will we believe that God is this big killjoy in the sky or a soft grandpa that throws out cheap grace void of any true love? His precepts lead us into a broad place. He leads us to green pastures if we will trust him, if we'll take his hand, if we'll we'll actually follow his lead. Continue in verse 49. It says, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. I'm gonna invite Scott to come. Just help me out. I told you guys a number of weeks ago that I was gonna stop preaching because... uh, We don't need another message. What we need in the church today is the ministry of the word. Like the word actually being ministered to hearts. And uh, and so I don't wanna just sit up here and preach at you. I need Scott's help to to allow, uh, help us a little bit receive from the Lord. Um, 
I don't really want you to remember a message that I speak. I wanna simply be a conduit for the Lord to minister to your hearts, to spark hearts to like actually go and seek God for themselves. I'm not a, I'm not a communicator at all. You know, I, I've t- shared my testimony with you. Um, I'm an engineer by trade. I knew the life of a cubicle. I'm content being all by myself all day long. But the Lord called me to do this and the Lord put, put a message on my heart to minister to people. And, and so I'm gonna continue to surrender in that, but I so need the Spirit's help. And, um, and that's my prayer is that God would make himself real to you this morning. So this is what the psalmist says in verse 49. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojournings. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. This is the the paradox of walking with Jesus, that literally he could set for you a table in the presence of your enemies. You could be walking in the night season and the Lord would comfort you in this journeying, this sojourning that you're doing on this earth. You can feel like a wanderer, but the Lord ministers to you through a song. So I wanna ask you that question. What is it that comforts you in your affliction? What has been your song and your journey? What is it that you turn to for comfort when your soul feels afflicted? And the psalmist talks about the night season. What is it that you think of in those moments? What is it that you turn to to console your soul? Well, you have here a supply of promises And these promises are living. They're living promises because they come from the mouth of a living king. And they're living because they're relevant for your life. And we stand on them, they become our food. They become the fuel for our life because they're unfulfilled in this moment. And they become the thing that drives us They're just waiting here every single morning. These promises are waiting for you. They're waiting for these promises to be called out and to be stood upon. Just this week, I was on an airplane and reading this old story of a missionary from 100 years ago named Victor Plymeyer that served the people and gave his life in Northern China to people who had never heard the gospel amongst Buddhist people had never heard the name of Jesus. And he gave his life there. His, his wife and firstborn child died on the mission field. But early on, actually as he was departing from California to, to sail across the ocean to China, the Lord spoke a promise to his heart. And yes, this was a word given to the prophet Isaiah, but this is the like, transcendent wisdom mystery, uh, mysteries of God. 
That yes, he speaks a word with very specific and important context originally. But in his wisdom, God brings that to life through the spirit of God and applies it to your heart in a way that infuses courage and faith and hope for that, for that day or for that battle. And this became the fuel for Victor's ministry for the next 50 plus years. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, it says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so time and time again, as he walked with the Lord and walked out in obedience to the call of God on his life, whether it was you know, thieves coming against him or the loss of loved ones around him, he clung to this promise and it became the thing that gave him courage and strength to make it another day. And the Lord never failed him. So how does this work, Drew? Do I just flip open my Bible and just point to a verse? What do I do? Do I just Google promises of God? No, I would, I would avoid all those things. Jesus gives us this promise that Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things that he said. So it's in relationship with God that he brings his word to come to, to bear on our daily lives. It's the spirit of God that enlivens the promises of God to be grabbed a hold of by the children of God. So there is this unexplainable mystery within it that I can only tell you about. That as you consume this as, your, as the true food for your soul, the actual fuel for your life, and you walk with God, you will face trials. Things will come against you. And in those moments, the spirit of God will be quickened within you and bring to remembrance the word of God. And all of a sudden, what will be triggered in your heart is faith to cling to that promise. All of a sudden, you'll realize that that promise has relevance to your life. It wasn't just a word spoken 3,000 years ago to the prophet Isaiah, but instead it was spoken also for you in this moment. That's how it works. It's walking in relationship with God with Holy Spirit. He has not left you as an orphan. He'll bring to remembrance the things that he taught to you. So eat God's word. Eat it as true food, as I said two weeks ago. And as you walk hand in hand with him, he'll bring, to, bring those things to remembrance. And I have a whole host of promises that honestly I pray over most every morning in my Bible these promises become the ground that I stand on. Second Peter chapter one, verse four says that he's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So the promises of God are not a last resort and they're, they're not just meant for your refrigerator. The promises of God are meant to be the, the very fuel and food for your soul. Let's keep reading verse 57. It says, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious to me, again, according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and I do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. 
At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I'm a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes, Lord. So the word of God is living because the spirit of God is living and he applies it to our lives. This word, yes, it's historical and it's authoritatively historical, but it applies to your life. It's relevant to your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this word is the standard for your life? The standard by which we walk. The psalmist said that he actually turns his feet to follow in alignment with the testimonies of God. Like, do we do that? Do you actually believe that God's word is authoritative in your life? Or do you think that it's just a collection of wise sayings? Or it's an interesting book to be studied? It kind of every once in a while piques my interest. Oh, that was a peculiar, I mean, it's so influential. And so every once in a while you turn to it for some, some nuggets of truth? Or is it authoritative in your life? The, the two are wildly different. Like they sit on opposite ends of a room. And it's the spirit of God that changes all of that. Second Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So do we believe that? And every day do we posture ourselves to submit ourselves to the authority of scripture. Just imagine if we took that posture on a daily basis. Rather than checking the box, getting through the reading plan or, or treating it in any other lighter way. But instead we say, Lord, King Jesus, I'm submitting myself to your testimonies. I actually wanna align my steps with your word. You have supreme authority in my life. I love how the psalmist interacts with God's word in such a, a personal and relational way. I mean, for the psalmist, God's promises are living. It's actually the way in which his life is led. It's like his, his righteous rules cause him to get up in the middle of the night. There's often a misconception within the church that either we're a word person or we're a spirit person, right? Come on. And we unnecessarily think that as a child of God that we, get, we have to do one or the other. We are a people of the spirit and a people of the word. We're both. And we live in the communication age, right? I mean, we live in the age where we have so many forms of communication. You can send a telegraph or a carrier pigeon, or in this modern age, we can send a text, or even, even better yet, we can FaceTime with a person. But I would say, out of all the forms of communication that we're blessed with in this modern age, still face-to-face -face is the best, right? And there's nothing like seeing the, uh, the eyes of a person light up when they see you and the personal interactions and all the nuances that go with personal face-to-face -face communication. But can I tell you, and I say this emphatically, we have been blessed with personal face-to-face -face communication with the God of the universe through the word of God. 
because the word of God is living and active through the spirit of God. And so what happens when you get alone with God in the secret place on a daily basis, you get before his word, the spirit of God fills that room and you are hanging out with Jesus face to face like Moses did in the tent of meeting in the wilderness. Through God's word, he opens the eyes of our heart to see Jesus in these words. And we consume the word as word given to me by Holy Spirit. And that is Jesus walking into my room. A.W. Tozer said that we need to learn that truth consists not in correct doctrine, but in correct doctrine plus inward enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. We must declare again the mystery of wisdom from above. We need the Spirit of God to enliven and awaken our hearts to truly receive fresh bread from God. Verse 65, it says this, you have dealt with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Is this good for you this morning? Because we can just stop too, but I'm gonna keep going. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolence smear me with lies, but with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. So he even begins to embrace the trials and tribulations of this life because it pushes him towards the, the ultimate uh, place of human flourishing. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Yet to the psalmist here, the spirit of God truly is his teacher. And the same is true for us today. The Lord is our teacher. He teaches us through the word. We need Holy Spirit. There's no separation between spirit and word. In uh, John's first epistle, he says this. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. He's talking about the spirit of God. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true, and is no lie, just as, it has taught you, just as it has taught you, abide in him. He's talking about how we have access to the spirit of God in light of all sorts of error that was infiltrating the church. John was reminding them that we are entrusted and we are given the gift of the spirit of God living inside of us as the, as the children of God. And so we have this anointing to meet with God, to hear from him directly as our teacher. And I just say, praise God. And on a daily basis, I posture myself before the Lord to say, Lord, teach me good judgment and knowledge as it says in verse 66. Teach me, Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me your testimonies. Teach me your commandments. I want to know your ways. Verse 73, finally, it says this. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. 
says, your hands have made and fashioned me. The psalmist truly saw God as creator God who had entrusted him with the manual for his life, the owner's manual for his life. How often do we buck creator God by trying to do things on our own? When in reality, the Lord has given us his master plan. He's given us the owner's manual of how we ought to live. And if you want to transform your time in the word, I'd encourage you to pray verse 73. Even this week, try it, I dare you. It says this, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. To creator God, to to the God who fashioned you, who made you, who knit you together in your mother's womb, that you pray that way. Lord, give me understanding. This manual for my life, this wisdom, this instruction for my life that leads me towards life and life abundantly, give me understanding. The Lord cannot resist that. In fact, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. He promises to fill you when you pray like that. So he says, I know, O Lord, verse 75, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live. Your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged with me, or they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. His prayer is that his life would be a living testimony of the faithfulness of God. And that's the prayer over my own life, is that my life would be a testimony of the living Jesus. That people would say of me, he trusted in God's word. And that's my prayer for you this morning, is that the testimony of your life would be that you trusted in God's word. If you'd all stand in this place, I want us to respond to the Lord. My, My prayer this week has been that God would continue to ignite a fire in our church of love for him. And that can only come by the spirit of God quickening our hearts to actually see him and know him through the revelation of God's word. I know we've gone through a lot of scripture this morning. I'm not gonna apologize for that, but, but I do have one more. Isaiah chapter 55, the prophet Isaiah says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's respond to the Lord. King Jesus, we declare, we confess that your ways are higher than all the best ways that I can muster up. Lord, we can sit and strategize and be so impressed by our philosophical thoughts and ways of pondering life, but it all falls flat before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, whose ways and thoughts are higher than ours. So Lord, I boldly stand before my church family saying, I wanna be a person of the word, the living word, 
the word that the spirit of God is bringing to life and bringing it to, to be relevant to my life. That your word would be like a two-edged sword, living and active, piercing into my heart on a daily basis. That's my prayer, and that's my prayer for every single person here this morning. May you open our eyes to see you clearly. And Lord, I'm just believing that in these days, I believe time is short. And just the, the air of our day feels so urgent. I pray that you would start a revival in, our, in the secret place of every single person here that's gathered in this church this morning. That Lord, there would be this draw to get alone with you, to feast on your word, to know you for ourselves. And from that place, Lord, we would change our city because there would be this radical bunch of Jesus lovers that truly meet with you on a daily basis and who know your voice and know your promises and have great courage because your promises actually have authority and living relevance to our life. That's my prayer, King Jesus. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.